If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Philippians. Let's go to chapter 3. We want to look at verses 1 through 11. You'll notice the topic of our subject, legalism or Jesus. Paul comes to this place again, and he has to deal with a group that had come out of Jerusalem. They were called uh, the Judaizers. These were Jewish men that had come to saving grace. But they began to undermine the teachings of Paul concerning salvation. And they were saying, Jesus is fine. Salvation through Christ, yes, we believe. But you also have to be circumcised. And they were very strong in that teaching of circumcision. And so we must look at legalism or Christ. And for the longest time that I've been a Christian, I look to the Word of God. What does Jesus have to say? What does the Scriptures have to say? Many of you, if you've been a Christian long enough, you've heard of the teachings of Calvinism and Arminianism. And so there's that great debate, even still today. Are we followers of Calvinism or are we followers of Arminianism? And my point is, what about following Jesus? What does Jesus have to say? We could even take it a step further. Well, Billy Graham said, or Pastor Chuck said, and we see these men of God. Uh, We see Calvin was a a man of God. Uh, Arminius was a man of God. But what does Jesus have to say? We have to be careful when we're so staunch in our traditions, our rituals, our rites, and our customs. We just celebrated Thanksgiving. There's a lot of tradition involved. Some of us have to have the turkey. Some of us, turkey and ham. I've told you before, tradition in our household back home, my mom always made a turkey, always made a ham. And so I called her up and I says, Mom, why did we make a turkey and a ham? She goes, because the turkey's always dry. (laughs) That was her answer. I go, okay, I can live with that. But we all have our traditions. Easter will come, and we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And every time the Easter week comes, there are always those churches that are going to celebrate foot-washing services. Where does the tradition of that fall? Because Jesus did wash the disciples' feet, but he says, I do this as an example to you. To wash feet means to serve. And so here comes these legalists. Let me give you just a little bit of background. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, Paul teaches on legalism. The early church struggled in this area because many were coming from Judaism and circumcision was very traditional. It had become a tradition, become a tradition to the Jews, and then they were laying the trip upon the Gentiles. It was a religious duty that they did then and they still do today. So look at this morning's legalism or Jesus. What do I obey? What do I follow? Uh, What does the scriptures teach? What did Jesus teach? And, And I think that's bottom line. We should always ask, what did Jesus teach on this subject? And so we speak of traditions, customs, rituals, rites, and such. Things that bind, things that can become legalism. Now, I believe that there are strong customs and practices that we have from our past. But I think we have to be very careful 
Obviously, we can fall trapped to traditions. There will be some good traditions. There will be some not so good. There could be some bad traditions. Jesus criticized the Pharisees for making it slave-like to follow their traditions and making them more authoritative than the Scriptures. Now, before we go to Philippians, turn with me. Leave a marker there in Philippians. Go to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, and verses 1 through 9. Now, at our house, we just celebrated Thanksgiving, like most of you. But this whole past week, you know, my wife's just bringing everything out of the closets, things that I had no idea. I forget from year to year. Men don't care, you know. And she's put up everything. It's beautiful. The smells, the lights, and, you know, the ornaments and such, the Christmas trees. And, you know, everybody's picture in our family is on the tree, and it rotates and, and all that stuff. Just beautiful. Guys, I know, we just don't do that. But we enjoy all the effects of it. And so here's all these little manger scenes. We even have a Hispanic manger scene. And then our daughter went to Peru, so she brought one from Peru. And so we cover all the bases, you know. Uh, Notice all around here, the ladies have so beautifully decorated. And there'll be some that'll come into our church and they'll look at the tree and they'll say, oh, what are you guys doing with the tree? Well, it doesn't bother me. What are you guys doing with the wreath? Well, it doesn't bother me either. What about the lights? What about the bells and all that? These are small little traditions. They really hurt nobody. I remember back in Southern California in our workplace, when Thanksgiving came, they always gave us a turkey, right? There was one gentleman in our, in our workplace. He just would not celebrate. And I didn't know then, but it was part of his religion. They did not celebrate Thanksgiving. Our workplace used to give us us free tickets for the whole family to go to one day Disneyland. It was all free, paid for. Well, he would give me his free tickets. Now I don't think they give free tickets. It's about 95 bucks to get into Disneyland. 95 bucks to go have fun. Doesn't make sense. But anyway, uh, traditions. And this guy would not, you know, take home the turkey. And he'd say, Bob, you want the turkey? I said, well, we got a big family. And we, you know, we would get together. My mom's, her mom's. But the traditions. It's always a tradition. One of the things in our household, do we make my mom stuffing or Mary's mom stuffing? Let's break the tradition this year. And so listen to what Jesus had to say. In the Gospel of Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 9, he he teaches concerning defilement because they were all into the washing of the hands. These were rituals, rites, and customs. He begins here in verse 1. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, speaking of Christ, having come now from Jerusalem. He says, now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled In other words, their hands were not washed. That is, with uh, unwashed hands, they found fault in it. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. Now, I did a background teaching on this years back. And they didn't just wash their hands as we're accustomed. But there was a ritual way to wash your hands. And when you dried your hands, you had to do it with this motion, with your hands lifted up, not out, but in. And then the water would run off the elbows. And if you didn't do it like that, you were wrong. And so you get so caught up into these things, holding the tradition of the elders. Look at verse 4. 
When they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and there are many other things which they have received, and they hold, like the washing of the cups, the pictures, uh, the pictures, that is, the copper vessels and the couches. So these things had to be washed. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not uh, wash or walk according uh, to the traditions of the elders, but they eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, you actors, as it is written, and he quotes from Isaiah 29 verse 13. This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as the doctrines of the commandments of men. And then he goes on. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and uh, the cups and many other such things you do. Tradition, church. Tradition uh, was very steep in Judaism. Now, obviously, moms, you know this. Your son comes from outside, your daughter, uh, you come to the table, uh, you know, wash your hands. But we don't make a ritual out of it. But guys, what if you're out in the field? What if it's not possible, you didn't bring a handy wipe or anything of that nature, and you can't wash your hands? Well, I can't eat the food that was prepared for me. No, we make amends. And so these uh, were the things that they were bringing to Jesus. Now, let me give you the word tradition before we read verse 9. Tradition, any kind of teaching, written or spoken, handed down from generation to generation. You ever ask your mom or your grandma, why do we do this? Because we always have. How dare you question it? You know, we put the turkey in and we put the ham in. What's your problem? Here comes Christmas. We have to have tamales. Why not? Can we put spam this year in the tamales? No. And so we got to stay with tradition. My brother-in-law tried spam. Look at verse 9 now. He said to them, all too well, you reject, listen, the commandments of God that you may keep your tradition. You keep your tradition. So we ask the question, legalism or Jesus? We shared this before, and it was humorous. And we said one day after teaching similar, and we said the traditions of the law, the steepness of the law, you weren't to do any physical work on the Sabbath. And so basically they stopped. And so I said to the people, you leave the parking lot and you drive down the street here about two blocks and you have a flat tire. And you're sitting there without a jack and without a spare tire and you're hoping somebody from church is going to stop and help me. But everybody doesn't want to work on the Sabbath, so they said, God bless you. <laughs> well, you're not going to think too much of them next week at church. We have to be careful with traditions. And so here, they're going to come to them again concerning this legalism of circumcision. This has happened back in the book of Galatians. Paul wrote to the Galatians, and he said in chapter 3, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You see, they were saying Christ was okay. Salvation through Christ is okay. We believe in the cross now, but you need to be circumcised. And that was the law. Let's begin here in verse 1 now, and we'll see how it just begins to come together. And so Paul says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord for me to write the same things to you. 
it's not tedious. But for you, it is safe, or for you, it is safety. And so Paul begins to instruct the Philippian church here in chapter 3, in verse 1, with compassion, encouragement to the Philippians, but encouragement to us this morning also. Notice what he says. Basically, as he begins to develop this, whatever happens to us, church, the body of Christ, the Lord give you joy as you go through these things, through the trials, through the triumphs in our lives. So listen to Paul's heart. It's not tedious to tell you these things. Paul oftentimes repeated, repetition is a good teacher. Sometimes you come on Sunday mornings and you go, there's Pastor Bob again. And he's playing the same string on the same guitar. You got to get saved. You got to get born again. You got to get right with God or you got to get left with God. That's what's going to happen. Well, repetition's a good teacher. We need to be reminded. And so Paul says, these things that I share with you, they're not tedious. Listen to the translation. I never get tired of telling you this. I do this for your safety or for your security. It's good to be encouraged, especially when a brother or a sister in Christ is going through trials. And obviously, the church at Philippi had their hardships. They had their downfalls, just like anybody else in the church. And so now Paul begins in verse 2. And he begins to ascribe these men, these Judaizers. We know who they are. And so Paul calls them dogs. Radical name. He says, beware of the dogs, be, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. The mutilation speaks of the circumcision. So Paul's telling them, and here's a good encouragement this morning. Take heed, beware, take heed, beware, pay attention to the teaching. There were those desiring to lead them back, these are the Judaizers, lead them back to Judaism. As a new convert or as one gone astray or at least to warn them to remember your roots, your rituals, your traditions, such as mutilation or circumcision. Paul calls these false teachers, listen to the derogatory word, he calls them dogs. Now in the New Testament Greek, when they would use the terminology of a dog, it spoke of Gentiles. But yet Paul's speaking here of Judaizers. And he ascribes to them, these false teachers, dogs. Now, the Greek is basically saying little dogs. But he's calling them a name that was hard even then. And so he says here, concerning their position, and he speaks of them as dogs, Gentiles. Here's the reference to the Judaizers, men that Paul dealt with before, men who came to saving grace in Christ, but don't forget your traditions of circumcision. Paul takes it further. These men are evil workers. Listen, that he warns harshly, beware of their uh, tactics of this mutilation, the tactics of circumcision. And so they would listen to you. And they would come in and not undermine Paul in salvation. But he says, you know, you do need to be circumcised. Don't forget. And don't forget that Jesus was a Jew. Don't forget that we come from Judaism. And they would build it up. So to us, it's, you know, here and there. But uh, I've had this approach. Listen, brother, have you been water baptized? 
Listen, brother, have you spoken in tongues? Listen, brother, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? And we begin to add to the Word of God. Isn't salvation enough? And yes, I believe in water baptism. Six months after Mary and I came to Saving Grace, we were water baptized. But salvation is an inward work, and water baptism is an outward work, an outward work of, of an example, a, Showing people our testimony. Listen, I'm going to be water baptized for Christ. But I know that's not my salvation. Some of us with our Catholic background. Well, you know, you have to be water baptized. You know, you have to make your uh, communion. So about seven or eight years old, I made my communion. You have to be confirmed. So about 14, 15, I made my confirmation. Back when Mary and I got married, we went to Las Vegas. We came home, and our family was staunch. Listen, you need to get married through the church. Well, I was born and raised in the church. I knew that. But in our, our love for each other, we just went uh, to Las Vegas. A lot of people did. It's called being, you know, eloping. But when we came back, being from the Hispanic culture, my grandma, she wouldn't let it go. Until two weeks later, we got married through the church. And praise God. I believe God honored it. God honors the civil authorities. But none of those things are my salvation. I need to come to saving grace. And so these men that were called dogs, evil workers, beware of their doctrine, their tradition of circumcision. The word mutilation that Paul uses here is the cutting away of the foreskin. That's what the Greek says. Now, if you want to do a study, back in Acts chapter 14, these Judaizers began to come first to a place called Iconium, and they began to undermine the teachings of Paul. But in the writings to the book of, the, the book of Galatians, Paul deals directly with the Judaizers. But listen to this one verse. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 15. Paul says, in Christ Jesus, listen to the terminology now, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. A changed man, a changed woman in Christ Jesus. Remember that verse that we love so much in 2 Corinthians 5.17? If any man be in Christ, if any woman be in Christ, he or she, it's a new creation. Born again of the Holy Spirit, born again from above. Remember when you heard that term terminology? Hey, brother, are you born again yet? What do you mean, am I born again yet? Are you saved yet? What do you mean, am I saved? You see, I was convinced that I was saved at my water baptism. As an infant child, I wasn't there. I was, what, six, eight weeks? I don't know. I'm all dressed up. My mom shows me all the pictures. And then I see everybody, all my uncles, and I see the keg of beer. Everybody's been drinking. Oh, we had a wonderful party. I said, Mom, I didn't know. Nobody invited me. I don't remember the water. I don't remember the salt. I don't remember the little drop of wine. All oh, the ritual, the rites, and the custom. Now he's baptized into the church. All right. Then I found out later that I was not saved yet. I had to come to saving grace. And so listen to me, please. Water baptism circumcision, giving of your tithes and your offerings, your service unto God, whatever it might be, will not save you. These come automatically after. 
You see, the work at the cross 2,000 years ago is sufficient. Most people don't like to hear this, but Jesus, when the thief on the cross asked him about his salvation, Jesus said, this, uh, this day you will be with me in paradise. Interesting that he didn't say, listen, get off the cross. Let's find a pool of water. Let's get you water baptized. And before you get back on the cross, I want to hear you speak in tongues. Now, we laugh, and I laugh with you, but there are people that are staunch that way. They will not let it go. Man, if we add anything to the cross, we have nullified that work. It becomes a work of man, not the work that Christ did. Look at verse 3. For we are the circumcision. Listen to what he's saying. He's speaking about Jew and Gentile. We are the circumcision who worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence, listen, in the flesh. Paul is saying here in verse 3 that the Holy Spirit shows us. He makes reference uh, to the act of circumcision, listen to the terminology, being a spiritual thing. Circumcision is actually a spiritual matter of the heart. God wants to save you. It's not about the foreskin of the flesh, but it's about the callousness of the heart of man. Now let me give you some scriptural base here. Back in Genesis chapter 17, God gave Abraham the sign of circumcision. Listen, I want you to be different. I want you to be separated from the other tribes, from the other nations. Circumcision was a sign. And they turned it into a tradition, a ritual, a rite, a custom. Let me give you a passage in the book of Romans. Let me just read it to you. Romans chapter 2, verse 29. Paul says, be he is, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Paul says, and he knew it, it's the heart that needs to be cut. Now, that's New Testament. Where did Paul gather that from? Let me give you two passages. In the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 10, verse 16, here is the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. It's called the law. And Moses writes, therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. They kept going back to the emphasis of the heart, not the foreskin of the flesh. He says, and be stiff-necked no more. And you're going to see that Paul even himself boasted, on the eighth day I was circumcised. See, we turn it into a ritual, a rite, or a custom. And like St. Peter's not going to let you into the pearly gates if you're not circumcised. That's the way they were drawing it. Now, we always quote Paul or we always quote Moses. But what about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet? They say that he preached for over 55 years and there was no converts. But there was a lot of uh, very Jewish people. And they did their rituals, rites, and customs. So let me read this passage. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 4. Circumcise yourself uh, to the Lord and take away the foreskin of your hearts. Jeremiah says the same thing. You men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doing. 
Man, they were pressing it. There was no comforts, but they were still pressing it. Listen, you're Jewish. You need to be circumcised. We follow the traditions sometimes to the letter. And so church this morning, be careful with our family traditions, our ethnic culture uh, traditions, your country's uh, traditions. Again, there's nothing wrong. We did, you know, Thanksgiving and just the beauty of the little traditions you might have. We have a tradition at Christmas, what we do with all our girls. We get together and we break communion before we open the presents. We partake of the communion table in our household. Well, you can't do that unless you're in church. Well, how can I do that? I'm not a pastor. The Bible says that the husband, listen, is the prophet, priest, king of the home. You can break bread together with your family. I don't have a problem with that. Because according to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the communion service, we're doing this in remembrance of Christ. We don't believe in transubstantiation, that the actual blood and the actual body of Christ, we do this in remembrance of him. And so Paul was dealing with a group of people, maybe the same type of people that are available today in the church. Look at verse 4 now. Go back to our text. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. He says, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh. Look at Paul's testimony. I the more. I the more. When it comes to Judaism, Paul says, I the more. When it comes to circumcision of the foreskin, I the more. And so Paul, he knew these traditions. And he knew how they entrapped men. Those of us from our Catholic background, remember? We'd walk into the church. There's the holy water. You had to do that. It was just so automatic. I still today go by the Catholic Church in Southern California where I was born and raised and baptized. I go past St. Joseph, and I got to make the sign of the cross. I catch myself. I go, stop. You don't have to do that. But it's automatic. I remember one time we walked in, and there was no water in the dispenser. And we made the sign of the cross. I go, Mom, there's no water. Oh, there's water. I go, Mom, there's no water. She got our finger, and she rubbed it in there. Tradition. You have to do it. Oh, we have to be careful. Though I might have the confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I the more. Paul is going to get into his own personal testimony as a Jew. He too placed, listen, his confidence, the word confidence, his trust and his faith in circumcision. It is sad, but it happens so much. You know, I have people that come to Saving Grace, and, and they'll, they'll ask me, Pastor Bob, I was water baptized like you as an infant. Should I get water baptized now as an adult? I says, you know what? I leave that entirely up to you. It's your choice. But I ask you this question. Do you remember your water baptism as a child? And they all say the same thing. No. I was told. I go, how about if the priest changed babies? Now what? Huh? I'm just being flippant. Look at verse 5 now. Circumcised, he begins to boast in a sense of his traditions. I was circumcised in the eighth day. I am of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Concerning the law, listen to what Paul says. 
I am a Pharisee. I am a Pharisee of Pharisees. And so Paul begins to give his little testimony. And basically, that's what I do. I give my testimony of Catholicism. I'm not bringing it down. Man, you want to hang on to your uh, infant water baptism? It's your prerogative. You want to partake of the communion uh, table, uh, you know, as a youngster, seven or eight years old? That's your prerogative. You want to do the confirmation ritual? That's your prerogative. But I tell you what, you better be born again of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says here, as a Jew, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Now listen, not the seventh day, not the ninth day, but the eighth day. They were very adamant. Then he says here, I am of the stock of Israel. The best translation, I am of the offspring of Israel. I was born a Benjamite, uh, uh, the tribe of Benjamin. They were called the fighters of Israel. I was born a Hebrew of Hebrews. That translation there, I'm pure blood. My mom was Hebrew. My dad was Hebrew. My grandparents were Hebrew and down the line. He probably took it all the way back to Adam and Eve. Then he says, speaking of the law. I was a Pharisee. The Phariseeism speaks of the strictness of the law. Back in Acts chapter 22, verse 3, Paul uh, boasted of sitting under the teachings of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was uh, one of the seven rabbis at the time. In fact, they still consider Gamaliel highly as one of the top rabbis in Judaism. And Gamaliel was his teacher. Uh, Gamaliel was called the beauty of the law. Paul was a student there at Tarsus. I believe Paul became a doctor of the law. So if anybody could boast, man, I have my credentials right here, Paul's saying. Speaking of Judaism, I was everything. Then he goes on further. In verse 6, concerning zeal, his zeal, his zealousness of being a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, hey, I was blameless. Paul says, I was zealous. Paul says here, I, I drove myself. I personally persecuted the church. In the Greek, I pressed them down in suffering. Back in Acts chapter 8, Paul consented to the death of Stephen. They took off their coats and they laid them before Paul. And then Paul says, go for it. And they threw the stones at Stephen. I I believe that one act that Paul witnessed, it, it drove him. He saw God working in this young man, Stephen. Because you read the whole context there in Acts chapter 6. And Stephen was a man of God. He was the first deacon of the church. He was chosen as one of the seven there in Acts chapter 6. And so Paul saw the witness, the testimony of such a a young, zealous man for Christ, not for religion. And so Paul's giving this insight. Now, in Acts chapter 9, Paul, concerning persecuting the church, he has letters in hand. He's going to Damascus. More persecution. He's going to bring back Christians. He's going to place them on trial. Some would be even consented to their death as Stephen. You want to know how hard Paul was? Remember Ananias? 
He was told by God, lay hands on this man. He is going to uh, serve me. He's going to reach magistrates and kings for me. And Ananias was fearful. Lord, do you know who this man is? He was Saul of Tarsus, a tyrant. Concerning righteousness or concerning religious living for God, fulfilling the law of God, I was blameless. Paul says the Greek word, I was faultless. Paul exercises Phariseeism, listen, to the letter. In the New Testament, Paul speaks of being a sinner. And he says, I was the chief sinner. I believe Paul would also hold that title, I was the chief Pharisee. I was number one Pharisee. I did it to the letter. Now, listen to me before we move on from verse 6. Be careful when we are zealous for religion, zealous for the law, zealous in my tradition, your tradition, but I'm not saved. You see, a relationship is important to me. That's what the scriptures say. We can consider ourselves religious people the rest of our lives, but have we come to saving grace? Have I acknowledged Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior? Have I confessed my sins to him? Not to a man, but to him. You see, we can be so flawless in this area of zeal, but what am I zeal for? I know guys that are zealous for, uh, you know, sports. I know guys that are zealous in coin collecting. I know guys that are zealous and, and fill in the blank. But are you born again of the Holy Spirit? We're not taking away. You want to, you know, be a coin collector? You want to collect stamps? That's great. You want to follow sport? I love sports. I'm not as much into sports as I used to be. I don't have the time, but I like a good game. But it's not my life. It's not my life. There was a time when I would have four or five boards in front of me, and I would have all these numbers, and then I had to make sure, because you know, we were booking uh, games, making sure this team's losing, that team's losing. Oh, no, a field goal. I'm going to lose some money. That's what it was all about. And you go to work on Monday like this. Did you watch the games? Yeah, I almost died. It wasn't worth it, was it? Be careful when we think our works save us. You have to turn to this passage. Go with me to the book of Ephesians, and let's go to chapter 2 and verse 8. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any one of us should boast. Now, I believe and I teach strongly that faith is what saves us. Works come automatically. I'm going to want to do for God. I'm going to want to give for God. I'm going to want to serve for God. But that's not my salvation. And so listen to the words of Paul. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, before I read that, the caption in my Bible says, Salvation is a free gift to man from God. Where do I derive that from? In John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus is it, folks. Jesus is the answer. Listen to verse 8. Paul says, for, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Underline that. The gift of God. 
You see, the gift of God was given at Calvary 2,000 years ago. The complete sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Listen to verse 9. Not of works. He clarifies it quickly. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. You see, Paul could easily say, on the eighth day, I was circumcised. Zeal, I had the zeal. I was zealous for God. Man, when it came to the traditions, you're, you're looking at him. The Pharisee of all Pharisees. And Paul's saying here, it's not of works. It's not of works, lest we would boast. You know, if, if giving financially to the church saved me, man, you would put it in there just for your salvation. Let's just pick a number. If God said, listen, in your lifetime, if you give $10,000, I won't guarantee you're going to heaven. Man, we will do everything in our power. You know what? i got a long life ahead of me. I'm going to go over here to Wells Fargo, and I'm going to get a, a $10,000 loan. Throw it in that agape box, and I've got carte blanche. I'm going to go live all I can live now because I've got my salvation. That's what Paul's speaking about. Be careful. My salvation is not of works, lest I should boast. And then I come to saving grace. I love verse 10. He says, for we are his workmanship. Look at the word workmanship. It is the Greek word poema, where we get our English word poem. Some of your translations would say, we are God's handiwork. You see, God made us, each and every one of us, unique. And so for we are his workmanship, and then he goes on, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but I'm God's handiwork. I'm God's poema. We are God's personal poem, handwritten and expressed by him. I am his. I belong to him. You are his. You belong to him. God takes that personal. That's my servant right there. He knows each one of us. Listen, by name. The Old Testament, the Psalm says, he knows every hair on our head. I said, wow, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Remember that, church. Again, please, don't misunderstand. You can have all the traditions you want. But make sure you're saved. Make sure you're saved. Mom, you're making that turkey? You're making that ham? Are we saved? Then I'll eat the ham and the turkey, Mom. <laughs> because we get caught up into the ritualism. Listen, this whole month, December, I mean, because of commercialism, advertisement, television, the whole nine yards, I mean, we are inundated like never before. And who doesn't love Christmas? But man, be careful when commercialism and advertisement takes over your life. I see all these people, and praise God, you have the money to go buy gifts, go for it. Go to Walgreens and shop your brains out. But are you born again of the Holy Spirit? Are you born again of the Holy Spirit? Have you received that great gift? You see, if I tell you this morning, here's this gift right here. I lay it right here. It's yours. But it's not yours till you come and get it. It's not yours till you take it home. And so the greatest gift is there for us, but we must take it home. 
His name is Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. Now, let's go to our next text. Look at uh, verses 7 and 8. But what things were gained to me, listen, Paul's testimony again. These I have counted loss, excuse me, loss for Christ. Yet, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. You have a King James, strong word, dung. That's what he says here, that I may gain Christ. And so listen to verses 7 and 8. I'm going to kind of bounce back a little bit, back and forth. But in verse 7, remember, Paul's coming out of Strict, strict Judaism. I mean, talking about the law, talking about Phariseeism. I used to think all these things of the law were important to me, Paul says. But now I consider it all worthless because of what Christ did for me. I look back to my, you know, old days, old school, and I see how we were steep in our traditions of religion. And I look back and I go, it was worthless. Why did we do those things? Mom said it. Grandma said it. But what does the word of God have to say? Look at verse 8. And then he goes on, yes, everything else is worthless. He says, when compared with uh, the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I might have Christ. Period. Christ period. Nothing but the cross, church. One commentary said this concerning verses 7 and 8. Paul is writing this letter roughly 30 years after Paul's conversion there in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus. And so Paul could say it. I have no regrets on my religious past. He went through the best schools. Paul studied under the great, uh, the best teachers. And so <laughs> Paul understood everything about Phariseeism, the training, uh, being a rabbi, being part of the Sanhedrin. Listen to this, what Paul had to count lost. Financially, he lost when he left Judaism. Paul says, I counted all that I left behind for Christ. I counted all rubbish. The word is dung. It's refuge in the Greek. It's the dog waste. That's what he's saying. And look at verse 7 again. Listen to the key word he uses here. He says, what things were gain? What things were gain? The word gain there in the Greek speaks of filthy lucre. Personal gain. It's that financial gain. How much did Paul lose? Many believe that in order to be part of the Sanhedrin, according to the law, you had to have a wife. And that Paul was married, but that she couldn't handle now that he no longer was financially stable. We find him in the book of Acts. He's building tents. He's making tents with Aquila and Priscilla. He was a tent maker by trade. And he left it all, listen, for Christ. I have counted it all lost. Now, God is not calling you to get rid of all your stuff to follow him, but to get rid of those things that are not important. Not important. I don't know if you've ever done a house cleaning in your, you know, your household. 
And ask God to help you do the house cleaning. It's amazing the things that we hoard, the things that we have. Well, I can't get rid of that. Why not? Well, you don't understand. You haven't used it. It probably doesn't even work anymore. Barnes notes, Albert Barnes writes this, and he says about this in his commentary. So far as Christ and his religion were concerned, they were to be regarded as worthless. In order to obtain salvation by him, it was necessary to renounce all dependence on these things. He's speaking about the law. Now, there was nothing wrong with the law. The law was to point you to the cross. The law was the schoolmaster, Paul told us. And we missed it. That's what he's telling the Jews. And see, maybe we weren't involved in the law, but we could so easily be involved in religion. Remember that religion is man-made, but a relationship. You see, religion is man trying to reach God, but a relationship is God reaching down to man through his son, Jesus Christ. And so legalism or Christ. And again, don't leave out some of your traditions. I mean, it's beautiful, some of the things that you do and you have. I mean, we have the menorah at our house, and it's, it's a beautiful thing to us. We set it up. And we also have the, the Hanukkah candles. And, you know, it's neat when somebody goes, hey, these have more than the other. What's going on here? You're able to share. It's good to have good traditions. Look at verse 9. We're going to be coming to the conclusion now. 9, 10, and 11. In verse 9, he says, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is far from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness which is from God. How? By faith. By faith. The righteousness that we receive, the righteousness we have from Christ is far greater than any righteousness we would gather from religion or the law. All this is done by faith in Christ Jesus. Paul discounted all personal achievements that he might be found in Christ. The parallel clauses contrast works righteousness, which is based on the law, with faith righteousness, which is given by God, here is Paul's most concise statement of justification by faith. Paul's conclusion, it's all about faith, not about works. My salvation. Now, again, works can come automatically after. He goes on to verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship, listen, of his suffering, the communion of his suffering. Being conformed uh, uh, to his death. As a Christian, as one that's born again of the Holy Spirit this morning, we share, each one of us, in the power of God through his resurrection. But as Christians, we also share, now listen, we don't like to hear this part. We also share in his suffering. Notice that he says the communion of his suffering. Because we are conformed, the Greek here, we're growing in conformity in the death of Christ. 
I need to learn to die daily to Christ. I need to understand that if Jesus suffered physically, I may suffer also. Now, it's interesting. You've been a Christian long enough. There are those that suffer more than others. Again, we have our names in the bulletin. We have some beautiful people in our fellowship and those that are part of our fellowship, and they're going through some suffering. Christians that are going through chemotherapy. Christians that are being fed intravenously. Christians that are dying of cancer. We're not exempt. We're not exempt. If Jesus suffered, we're going to suffer. And yet, praise God, some of us, you know, our, God's given us great health. Cherish that. You see, whatever the situation, one day we're going to enter the pearly gates and God's going to be there. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter the glory of God. And we're going to get a new body. Imagine the blind man all his life and he walks in to the kingdom of God and he sees now. The one that's born without limbs. And all of a sudden he enters the kingdom of God and he's whole now. Wow, Lord, I didn't know I was six foot. Amazing. God's going to give us a new body, church. Look at verse 11. He concludes it now. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Here's the expression of humility. I was looking at some of my commentaries, and, and they just hit it on the head of the nail. Here is the expression of the humility in Christ. He says, through his resurrection from the dead, so I partake of his resurrection. You partake of his resurrection. Listen, church, I deserve death. I deserve judgment. You deserve judgment. Listen to this. I deserve hell. So do you. But God has given us life. He has given us life eternal because we have accepted his son. And listen to this. He gives me a place in heaven with him. Oh, Lord, you're too much, man. You love me that much? And you know what? You're not going to sit in heaven in your personal chair and say, well, Pastor Jeff's chair is better than mine. No, that's not the way it works. Man, you're going to go, Lord, thank you for this lawn chair. I am happy. I'm glad I'm in the kingdom of God. I'm humbled, listen, because I don't deserve it. I deserve judgment. I deserve death, but I, I get eternal life. I just want to touch on this last portion. Uh, again, some of us suffer more than others. Turn with me to the book of Romans. Let's go to chapter 8. In verses 12 through 17, we've read this in time past, but as Paul says, these things are not tedious. I need to repeat them to you sometimes. I, I think a lot of times the Holy Spirit gives them to me for my own teaching. Because I'm hurting inside for some of our people that are, are suffering greatly right now. Some beautiful people. And then you read about these other people that are, you know, drug addicts and, and all this type of sin. They're doing all this and they're healthy. I said, Lord, why? The scripture says that it rains in the just and the unjust. And the psalmist says, why do the wicked prosper? But listen to Paul's place now. Speaks about sonship. Speaks about heirship. Speaks about our position in Christ. 
He begins in verse 12, Romans 8. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according uh, to the flesh. Listen, bottom line, you owe your flesh nothing. I owe my flesh nothing. We have been set free in Christ. Now, our flesh likes to be pampered. Our flesh, our flesh, our flesh likes to indulge in the things of the world, like it or not. Hey, there's a lot of football games that I would like to stay home for on Sunday morning. But God says, hey, who's going to give the sermon? And so we obey God, not man or not my flesh. Listen to verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die in that flesh. But if you live according to the spirit and put to death the deeds of the body, you're going to live, church. In Christ we have eternal life. In verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. He's speaking about you and me this morning. Speaking about the church there in Rome at the time. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we now cry out, Abba, Father. We can only do this through the born-again experience. It was an Aramaic term to say, Abba, Father. It was a term of endearment. It's like when we say, Daddy, Daddy. Some of you might have uh, that phrase. uh, In some cultures, you call your dad Poppy. And you use that word. And so here, to our Heavenly Father, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. And this is the relationship we have. Then he says, verse 16 and 17, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children of God, then heirs of God, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed, and here's the text, we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Paul says, these are but light afflictions. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the man went through a lot of trial and tribulation. It's painful. I shared this with you before. It was very hurtful to see my dad uh, go through his pain for two and a half years. It was very painful to see my father-in-law go through his pain. I know the time's going to come when I'm going to have to face it. My mom is going to go through her pain. My mother-in-law is going to go through her pain. Unless Christ comes for us. The time might come that we're going to go through our pains. I thank God for our healthy bodies, but... Let's face it, there are beautiful Christians out there, beautiful Christians that are suffering. Notice the conclusion. We suffer with Christ in our own personal trials, our own hardships, our own pains. The list goes on. One day, he will glorify us in his kingdom. One day, the word glorification, he's going to exalt us. He's going to lift us up, the church, the body of Christ. Well done, Thou good and faithful servant. Legalism. Tradition. Do we choose or do we choose Christ? Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer.